Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Uh, My next guest in 12 years of owning multiple small businesses, Sean Adams, my next guest, felt overwhelmingly stress stemming from the government and banks having control over his income. He consumed hundreds of books, interviews, and courses to learn as much as he could about finance and discovered the ultra-rich had insider knowledge about protecting and growing wealth. Sean made it his mission to distill down these secrets and make sure everyone had access to them. This led him to found Leverage Life Management in order to help other professionals leverage a time-tested wealth-building strategy of the ultra-rich. Sean, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Sean. Hey, before we get into the, the uh, this very interesting topic, tell us a little bit more about you and your background and uh, you know what, what you've been up to for the last many years. Yeah, like you touched on in that intro there, my background stems from the small business world. So I actually uh, had a homegrown home service business. I started as a landscaping uh, company when I was in high school, pushing the lawnmower around the neighborhood, just making a couple extra bucks. And I fell in love Mm -hmm. with entrepreneurship. I love this idea of autonomy, being able to kind of call my own shots and build something that wasn't there previously. I just really loved uh, the activities that stem from that. And uh, I spent about the first 10 years of my career, 10, 12 years growing that business and I learned the hard way what the gaps were, both in my personality and my skill set. Uh, you know, I had no, you know, MBA. I had no business experience. I was learning on the job, and there were certainly a lot of mistakes that I made along the, along the way there. The biggest one was really financial literacy. I just didn't understand what it meant to have positive cash flow, to know where to store cash, how to, you know, finance things, how things really worked in terms of banking and storage of cash. And it came back and bit me many, many different times. Uh, and, you know, lots of stories to unpack there. But, you know, the main thread was really that I needed to get financially educated so that I could move this business forward and started to, you know, consume content, like I, you mentioned in the, the bio there, and really fell in love with the idea that um, this was information that, that I could put into play right away. There was these strategies that ultra-wealthy people were doing. They were involving things like life insurance and privatized types of accounts uh, that could really move the needle, and they started to help me in a transformational way, and I just really wanted to try to help other people because I found that these secrets were just that. They were not shared publicly. It was not the same information that I got you know, when I sat at the dinner table with my parents or friends and family. So, uh, yeah, that's what brought me into wanting to share these concepts, specifically with business owners who I believe need to hear this most. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, uh, you, so you've been, been in business. Uh, you, you realize, you know, there's, there's some 
there's some secrets out there. There's some things that, that uh, ultra-rich people know about. And uh, a lot of our listeners are in a position where they, you know, they run a business, they're doing well for themselves, but someday they may have uh, a lot of cash on hand as they sell their business and liquidate. And so we want to learn as much as we can about you today about what the strategies are. So how and where, uh, tell us how and where the wealthy warehouse their cash to get guaranteed growth on their money. I guess let's jump right into it, Sean. Sure. Yeah, Bill. So if I can back up one step, I'll, I'll take it here. So one of the concepts that I learned really early on for some ultra wealthy people that I studied and sat and talked with was this idea of leverage. I ended up na naming my firm Leveraged Life Management because of this concept. And it's the idea that the, the wealthy look at points where they can apply leverage positively for their own gain, things like compound interest and big, building things on their own terms. But they also look for opportunities where they are over leveraged. In other words, where are their positions in their business, outside circumstances, economies, currencies, what have you, where they are out of control and simple shifts could actually take them out of their rhythms and affect their change, basically areas where they don't have full control. And one of them was where they store their cash. And I thought everyone just put all their money in a bank, let it sit there, and they used it when they needed it. And the wealthy people just had a lot more of that dry powder than I did, right? That's what I thought. What I found is that's not where they keep their money. Of course, everybody has money in their checking accounts and maybe some money in you know, a savings account or something like that. But long-term cash, dry powder that they were using in between investments or after they had liquidated a position, sold a piece of real estate, what have you, they were stored in a lot of different places. But one of the main ones was actually uh, this thing called a cash value life insurance policy. And I learned this because this is exactly what banks do. You know, most people think banks are just this big vault. They store cash in there. Well, what they actually do is they take our cash along with the profits from their other business operations, and they store them in what are called BOLIs or bank-owned life insurance policies. And the reason the banks do this is because they get a guaranteed rate of return. These whole uh, cash value life insurance policies actually provide a minimum of a 4% guaranteed rate of return on the cash value that's deposited in them. And that is non-correlated. So it's not linked to any stock market. It's kind of like a credit union. They provide you this mm -hmm. rate of return on your money. It's liquid. They can use it on their own terms. And basically, it's a much better warehouse than keeping it in some kind of savings account where you're getting you know, 0.1% or something abysmal. Uh, in a regular bank account. And so wealthy people recognize that why am I storing my money in this bank, which is essentially a third party who's making money on my money? Why don't I cut out the middleman, store my money in these policies, get that guaranteed growth, but also allow me to leverage it? So we're not talking, Bill, about the end investment. You know, 4% is, is great and everything, but that's not what's going to make us wealthy. What they really wanted is to store their dry powder in this place where they could use it. So 4% now became the minimum growth that they were going to get on their money instead of the maximum. I see. Okay, so, yeah, I, I'm, um, you're right. There, there's a category of insurance products called BOLI, bank-owned life insurance. It's very popular, and there's also a version at the corporate level called COLI or, or corporate or company-owned life insurance where companies store their insurance for post-retirement benefits for their key executives. So, okay, we've, we've, I think we've established that um, there, these obviously, obviously banks and big companies uh, do a lot of due diligence before they invest in these types of, of products, right? So they, it's not just they just decided, hey, let's just do this. They, they obviously do a lot of due diligence. But there are also 
for for our listeners probably are wondering, yeah, but aren't there a lot of expenses to life insurance? And what are my expense? You know, what about all the expense of all of that? Uh, doesn't that eat into the yield? And um, but but there's a benefit to paying that expense. Can you tell us what that is? Absolutely, yeah. So, Bill, most of your audience is aware of what life insurance does. It's just a hedge against your inevitable death, whether that's tomorrow or, you know, 50 years from now. And so you put life insurance in place in case you die prematurely. There's going to be some sort of payout that covers as an umbrella to your friends and loved ones or whoever you deem to receive that benefit. Right. Well, most people stop there and go, "Okay, well, I'm paying into this black hole expense that only helps me if I die prematurely, but doesn't help me if I live a nice, long, healthy life. I basically just incur this expense. Well, if you set up one of these policies correctly, this is a cash value whole life policy. You can do this personally. You can do it for a small business or any size entity moving forward from there. If you set this up correctly, what ends up happening is you're buying the death benefit, and that's the expense in, in the, the beginning. But mm-hmm. you are insuring uh, that one component. So you put dollars into this policy. Yes, it's buying you a death benefit, and that can range from you know twenty thousand dollars to twenty million dollars, and Uh, every number in between there, but it also allows you the cash that you pay in will grow in cash value. So basically like a bank account, right? So most of us know if we were to pay our car insurance every month, $100, we pay 100 in, that money just evaporates. It's like rent. It doesn't have rollover if we don't use it. It's not like, you know, uh, one of the big insurance carriers is not going to, they're going to store our cash for us if we don't get in an accident, right? They don't do that. But in life insurance, they actually do. So a small component of, let's say, the $100 you put into a policy goes to the coverage, the expense component. But something like 80, 90% of that is going to go into cash value if it's set up properly. That cash value is the amount that gets the 4% compounding rate of return. So, you know, what ultra wealthy people and big banks and corporations recognize is, okay, I can insure the life of myself, my top executives, employees, partners with that death benefit, but I can also get all these living benefits with this cash value because if I'm putting money in here, yes, I want that protection, but I also want to make sure I can use that cash and then the cash that I have available to be used is growing at a compounding rate as well. So if set up properly, and that is a very key word here because most of them are not set up in the right way, uh, we're able to you know, do that in a way that helps us to maximize the growth on our money as well as being protected for ourselves and our families. Yeah, I heard you say that term, if set up properly. So, and you, so you just said that most of them aren't set up properly. So what, what does that mean to the, to the layperson out there who doesn't have a, you know, a, a degree in insurance? What does that mean set up properly versus improperly? How would they know if the, a policy they might have already is set up in this way or uh, what should they look for and who should they turn to uh, to, to find one that's set up properly? Sure, Bill. The analogy I use is, you know, if you were a real estate investor and you were buying into very specific types of properties that had a certain yield and had all of these criteria, and you went into your everyday Joe Schmo agent down the street and said, hey, I need you to help me find this, you know, rare investment property. They're going to think that they know what they're going to do because they have a real estate or a real estate agent on their business card, but that does not qualify them to know how to do the nuances that go into that industry. The exact same thing happens with agents in life insurance, right? The person down the street, uh, nine times out of 10, they have no idea 
the limits in which these products can be uh, manipulated and moved. And so what we specialize in, for example, is understanding how big banks, corporations, people like the Rockefellers and these unbelievably large you know, family offices have been able to really know the rules of the game, know which carriers allow for the most flexibility, and be able to design policies in a way that is advantageous for cash value growth, not just death benefit protection. So the unfortunate reality, which, you know, life insurance is one of those things that's kind of taboo. It's like saying you're a used car salesman. Most people back away from you when you say you're in life insurance because you feel like you're going to be sold some level of snake oil. And the reality is the past 60 years, that has been the case, Bill. It's been something that the way that they're structured is to jack up the incentives or the commissions for the agent. And so the base premiums get inflated because the the agent is paid on the size of that premium. And what they don't understand is that they actually were to shrink down to the lowest or the minimum, it's much, much more advantageous for the client. It allows them to put a lot more of their own cash in. It performs exponentially better, and it's an overall better living benefit product. But like anything else, you know, agents are incentivized against being in the client's best interest. So, you know, it's important for us to do our due diligence. I look at policies and do audits on them every single week for clients. I very, very rarely, 1% of the time, uh, where someone actually has one that's fully optimized. So it's worth getting a second set of eyes on it and nothing else, just to understand what you're actually paying for and see what opportunities exist. Yeah, one telltale sign could be uh, in in being able to look at a life insurance uh, uh, proposal or ledger. There's usually some kind of a ledger that comes along with it that shows the money in and the money out and the resulting ending cash value uh, year by year, right, in, a, in an illustration. Um, if, yes. if someone puts in uh, $100,000 and sees zero cash value in the first year, uh, they're probably looking at a policy that was pretty heavily loaded for the agent, right? That's very, very true. Yeah, that's a really tactical example there. That illustration, like you mentioned, is going <clears> to <throat> speak volumes to how it was set up. The larger the premium, meaning dollars that go to the insurance company, the less amount of cash value or equity that the client builds in. So that, that's where I start. I actually look at those illustrations and see. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You can tell so much just from that knowledge. What, w what would you say at a minimum someone should see in that first year per, let's say, 100000 put in as, as the ending accumulated value or cash value of a policy to let them know that they've got something that's, more, that's going to be more efficient, as you're talking about? Yeah, generally. you see anything less, generally speaking, anything less than about 75% of that first year contribution or really any year contribution, especially the first couple of years, uh, showing up in cash value, if you put in 100000 and you're seeing, you know, thirty, forty, fifty $50,000 show up, that is a, a policy that has not been optimized. The average for us is about between 85 and 90% shows up in year one, right? And so that means that only 15, 10 to 15% is going to the expense of the insurance in the first couple of years before the break even happens. The other factor or metric to track is that break even if you look at traditional whole life, that break-even sometimes isn't for year 12, year 15 in some cases, or further. Right. With ours, we average between you know, years two and five to break-even, meaning that even the dollars that we put into premium are going to show up in cash value once the account has been sort of paid up 
in full in that sense. Very good. And and let's talk a little bit about the the use of the money once it's in the policy, because there are some uh, very attractive um, attributes to a life insurance policy that other types of vehicles don't enjoy, including their cousin, the uh, the annuities out there. They they used to all be the same way back when, but uh, they they changed the annuities to where you have to take out the interest first, and then you get back to your initial deposits but with life insurance you can you can still take out the the money you put in after tax first on a tax free basis and then get to the gain or you can borrow right let's talk about that that's absolutely right bill and that is one of the major advantages here especially for business owners and i know your audience is you know uh, typically looking towards retirement in the in the near future and so one of the things that is useful with life insurance it's structured properly is the loan provision, the ability to loan out, right? So it kind of works like equity inside of a home. So if you had $100,000 in equity inside of your home, we all know we could go down to the bank or a third party and be able to loan, uh, take a loan out against that equity, right? Typically up to 70, 80, 90% of that value. We can tap into it, right? We're not really removing it, but we're just loaning out against it. That means that the whole property itself, though, continues to go up in value, regardless of how much equity we have in the property, right? Same thing happens with a policy. If we had $100,000 in cash value, growing at 4% every single year, it's appreciating, and we wanted to use $50,000 to buy a vacation home or buy a property or whatever we want to do, there's really no limits, instead of withdrawing $50,000 from a big pot of money that's compounding, right? One of the worst things you can do is take a withdrawal because now the $50,000 is compounding instead of the $100,000. So you can actually use that 100 as basically um, an equity position, and you can loan out against it using the cash value as collateral. The insurance company will loan you up to the cash value amount you have in there, and you can use that loan for whatever you want. You actually have full control over the payback terms if you want to pay them back at all because the insurance company knows you're good for it. Because essentially, at the end of the day, whenever you pass away, they have to pay you out that death benefit. So whatever you owe them from the loan, they will take out of that death benefit. And the real secret sauce of all this is if I had 100,000, I took a loan out for 50, the entire 100,000 that I had in my policy continues to get that 4% or 6% compounding growth as if I never took out that loan. So you can start to see for business owners how we can start to kind of build our own little private banking system by putting cash in here first, leveraging it through the use of a loan, and being able to actually double dip our money. There's a small percentage of interest that we're charged for borrowing that money, but if done properly, you're always going to have a positive arbitrage between those two figures. Very nice, very nice. So very well uh, explained, Sean. You, you really helped our listeners. What else What else should they know as far as uh, you know, quality of carrier, uh, issues like that, because I think a lot of people are, you know, nervous about putting too much into a bank, but how about uh, the quality of a life insurance um, carrier and how they're regulated, that kind of thing, just in a, in, a, in a minute or so, if you could. Absolutely, yeah. So the carriers that we work with, they are all, our record is 100 plus years of consecutive growth or consecutive returns of premium, uh, returns of 
uh, dividends. And so we work with uh, the, the top four carriers among some smaller ones as well. But we use historical data as our guidepost. So they need to be a business for at least 100 years. They need to have always returned uh, that minimum of the, the floor, in this case, 4%, uh, for us to make sure that they're a quality carrier. So these are all A, um, AA rated companies. We always share all the information with them. But just like anything else, uh, Bill, you, you need to be able to do your due diligence. Not all carriers are created equally, just like not all agents are created equally. And so it's well worth doing your research there. Uh, but yes, absolutely. The companies that um, you know can really benefit and, and know how you can leverage them. It's really important to know the rules that are at play because just because this this concept is possible doesn't mean that every carrier does it the same way. So it's important to have an advisor kind of walk you through what's possible based on your scenario, your age, you know, funding limits, state that you live in, all those sort of things. Excellent job, Sean, uh, explaining something that is, you know, some, sometimes thought of as a mundane, unexciting type of a product, but it really is, like you said, it's what banks use, it's what it, big corporations use and successful people use uh, as a leverage uh, a technique to, to grow money, put money into into. Uh, play and also to use it to borrow back out and take advantage of other opportunities. Uh, how do our listeners best get in touch with you? Yeah, best thing to do, Bill, we focus on education first. So if you go to my website, leveraged-life.com, leveraged-life.com, I've got an entire video series. It's all free. You don't even have to put an email in. Um, I've got blog posts. I have my own podcast called Wealth Secrets. And all we do is just distill down these concepts. We show you actual actual illustrations. We walk through it. You know, this is bland, boring stuff for most people. We try to make it in, in a couple of minute videos so people can understand it. And if you see that maybe your policy is not optimized or you want to learn more about how to take advantage of that, there's all kinds of areas where you can actually book a free a complimentary call. I'll do a free audit on your policy as well as make some suggestions for you. So you can find all that on the website. Great. Again, that's leveragedlife.com. Sean Adams, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, you really helped our listeners understand something better than we've ever heard before. So really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Bill. It's great to be here. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 